so they're blessed. <laughs> Welcome. Again, my name's David. I um, um, am so honored to have all of you here on this day. And I need to uh, just maybe, because there's so many new people, just briefly explain um, that we're actually in the middle of a series. This series is a long series, though. I've been in this series since January 3rd, and I'm still going because um, it's something that I really felt at the beginning of the year that the Lord wanted me to share on. And I've been going and going and going because there's so much on it. And basically, the series is the importance of adopting an eternal perspective. Now, I used to start this every message essentially with Hebrews 1, chap- uh, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. That says these are the foundational, fundamental teachings, uh, doctrines of Jesus Christ. And then it lists five things. And the last thing, it says eternal judgments. So it's actually one of the foundational teachings of Jesus Christ. But um, the, the unfortunate thing is often it gets neglected in the church. And so you don't really hear much about eternal judgments, even though it's a foundational teaching of Jesus Christ. And so I just set my heart as the Lord, you know, spoke to me about this to just really, really spend some time focusing on this foundational doctrine. And at this point right now, we, we started a few weeks ago talking about the believer's judgment. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday to give an account for what we've been given on this earth. And so right now we're in the middle of that, just so you all know where we're at. Uh, last time I spoke, which is two weeks ago now, I spoke about basically the importance of fulfilling the calling of God on our lives. Because every single one of us has a calling of God on our lives, and we're going to have to give an account to God someday for whether we fulfilled that calling or not. And so I kind of wanted to continue that message today um, because it's such a critical message. going to be talking about essentially the keys to fulfilling your calling because um, we talked about last time Saul and David and how it's actually possible to lose your calling. It's actually possible, just like Saul, if you don't steward your calling like Saul, he actually was disobedient to God, and God said, okay, I'm going to give your calling to another one, David, who has a heart after my heart because you were disobedient to me. And so what I, my heart is that that doesn't happen to anyone here, but that we would all fulfill our destinies and assignments that God's given us, the callings, the gifts, according to what he's called us. And we all have individual callings. We're not all called to be, you know, whatever, full-time ministers. Whatever it is God's called you to, um, that's awesome. The important thing is to find what that is and do it, you know, and so that when you stand before God one day, that he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? You've been faithful with what I've given you, so I'm going to give you authority over a whole bunch of things. That's the parable of the talents. And so anyway, just wanted to catch you all up to speed. Just going to start off today. I uh, already kind of said some of the stuff, the believer's judgment that we're all going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus and judged according to what we did in the body, whether good or bad. And that's kind of the intense part of it is that we'll actually be judged for bad things we've done. Now, um, I talked about a few weeks ago about living without regret By the way, since there's so many new people, I should say that if you want some of these messages that I allude to, um, you can uh, email ottawa.catchthefire.com. We'll uh, email you the audio or the PowerPoints, and we also post them on our Facebook uh, page every week, too. So another uh, point, there's going to be rewards given out and losses suffered. The rewards are spanned. Now, there's a huge span of rewards, it ranges from, every, from having everything you've done burnt up, even though you're still saved. That's from 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 
uh, verses 10 to 15, to ruling and reigning with Christ beside him on his throne. That's Revelation 3.21. And so, and everything in between. So, my whole thing is we should all be living for eternity because how we spend this life, this short, brief life, James says it's like a vapor, is going to determine how we spend eternity, not where we spend eternity. Where we spend eternity, heaven and hell is whether, right, is, is all based on grace, uh, whether we, we come to faith through Jesus Christ, right, what he did for us on the cross. That's where we spend eternity. How we spend eternity is actually determined by how we live this life and what, how we faithfully steward what God's given to us. So anyway, I kind of already mentioned this. These judgments are eternal. Um, that's Hebrews 6, uh, 2. Um, back one, please. Sorry. Uh, th- what that means, what I want to say, these are eternal judgments. We're all going to stand before the Lord one day. That means they're forever. And I, and I can't emphasize enough. That, that means that how Jesus assesses your life on that day the judgments he gives you are going to be eternal forever and ever and ever, meaning they're never going to be changed. You're never going to go on parole. How he assesses your life, the rewards you give, the positions you get for eternity are determined, set in stone on that day. So that's the most important day of our lives. And that's why I'm spending so much time on this, so that we can all stand before him with confidence and get an amazing uh, uh, assessment of our lives. All that to say, it would be good for us to find out what God has for us now, rather than being surprised on the day of judgment. And that's the thing that I fear. The like, wouldn't that be horrible? Being shocked and surprised when you stand before Him, if He says, "You know, away from me, I never knew you." From Matthew seven, that'd be horrendous. Like, I can't fathom that. Or everything burnt up. You're saved, but everything you did was a waste. That'd be horrible. And so, lest that happen to any of us, right, we, it's good for us to find out what does the Bible say and how are we going to get assessed so that that won't happen to any of us. And that's my heart. I want to equip all of us thoroughly so that won't happen so we can live and have confidence when we meet Jesus face to face on that day. And so right now, we're, like I said, we're talking about the believer's judgment, it's, I'm uh, dividing it in two major categories. The first one, and the one we're talking about now, is we're going to be judged based on our involvement in building the kingdom of God according to our callings and gifts. So like I said, we all have a calling. We all have gifts and empowerments from the Lord to fulfill that calling. The question is, are we going to fulfill that calling? Last time I talked about famous people, famous people we all know. Reinhard Bonnke, the Lord told him two people. He called two people before him. He was his God's third choice, but they rejected their calling, so he had to find someone who would fulfill it, right? Same with Catherine Coleman, same thing. The Lord told us she was his third choice. So there's stories, and last time I gave, I won't go into detail, because last time I gave all these stories of famous people who were given other people's assignments, people who lost their assignments because they squandered it. And so that's why I want to focus on this, so that that doesn't happen to any of us, right? And then we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come how we build individual lives, including our own. So in, in regard to other people, our influence on them, in regard to our life, uh, how we cooperated with God's spirit and grace to develop Christ-like character. But that's another story for another day. So our judgment will be a byproduct of how we respond to his spirit and his word, what we believed in our obedience to it. It's all about obedience, 
right? If you hear anything else from me, that's probably the most critical thing. Obedience to God's spirit, obedience to God's word is how we're going to be able to stand before him in confidence on the day of judgment. And in the past, and, and those of you who've been here know this, I went in detail in all of these, we're going to, our works, our words, our thoughts, our attitudes, our motives, they're all going to be laid bare and examined on that day, even our motives. And so it's kind of an intense, uh, uh, you know, uh, series we're in, I suppose you could say, but it's good, right? It's good, because like I said, we want to all be thoroughly equipped when we stand before the Lord one day. So, judgment according to our calling. Today I want to focus on how do you, first of all, how do you fulfill your calling? How do you make sure that you don't squander it or lose it like when we talked about Saul last week? And I'm going to be focusing on that today and also how to know what you're called to because a lot of people don't even, what am I called to? We're going to hit on that a little bit today too. Okay, so something to consider, this is a key point. In regard to your calling, you're not going to be judged according to what you did but rather according to what you were called to do. Okay, so what do I mean? If you were called to be an accountant, I always say this one for some reason, but whatever, called to be an accountant, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to go be a missionary to China, you're going to stand before the Lord one day, and, and he'll be like, I called you to be an accountant, but you went and did your own thing, right? Like, why weren't you faithful to what I called you to? So your life's going to be assessed based on what you're called to do. Likewise, if you're called to be a missionary and you went and, been, and were an accountant, same thing. You'd be like, hey, I called you to win like millions of souls, but then I gave your calling to Reinhard Bonnke because you rejected it, right? Like imagine being the person who, you, who was supposed to be Reinhard Bonnke in, in terms of the ministry. That'd be crazy if you found that out one day. So the point is God's going to assess according to what you're called to, not what we choose to do on our own. So it's important for us to seek him so that we know what we're called to and that we can fulfill our calling with confidence. Um, yeah, I already basically said this, but we're going to be rewarded. We're talking about eternal rewards according to our faithfulness to God's call, not according to what we did on our, on our own. So this is essentially saying the same thing in different ways. We need to do what God's called us to do. Okay, We can't just choose our own thing and go our own way and just hope it all pans out. Okay? I mean, you can do that, but, but I wouldn't recommend it. What I would recommend is seeking the Lord so that you can know with confidence what you're called to do and do that, right? Whatever that might be. So, God's sovereignty, and this is a key point, God's sovereignty does not override our free will, and our choice doesn't reverse his plan. He's going to accomplish what he's determined to accomplish with or without us. Right? In other words, he, he had it in his heart that there was going to be revival sweeping across Africa and that millions of people were going to be saved, whether Reinhard Bonnke did it or not. Right? So two people rejected. He's like, hey, okay, I'll just keep find, looking for someone who's actually going to do that because whether you do it or not, that's your choice. I'm going to do it. Right? As I'm talking about the Lord now. He's going to do what he wants to do. So we want to be the people who, yeah, Lord, send me. I'm the one, right? I'm going to do it. So there's a tension between God's sovereignty and we, he also, our free will. And I talked about last time how, scripturally speaking, it says God's called us from our mother's womb. I gave three scriptures saying that last. He never says that he's called us from the foundation of the earth. It says he's called us to be saved from the foundation of the earth. 
He's never so, the reason is, I believe, is because God has to orchestrate. If some people squander their calling, he's going to have to call someone else to do it. Does that make sense? And so we receive that calling from our mother's womb, and it never gets revoked. It never gets revoked. He work, he's working and orchestrating it all so his grandmaster plan gets fulfilled with or without us. So it's critical, and I already said this, that we find out God's will, and that's what we're, we're talking about today. So, living faithful to our calling. Last time I went into detail, basically juxtaposing Saul with David, because that's such a great biblical example of somebody who did what you shouldn't do, Saul, and who did what you should do, David. And so Saul was an example of somebody who squandered his calling and lost it. And it's a tragedy. And you know, these are just, I just chose three um, scriptures, just to basically give you a really brief summary of God's assessment of Saul. It's really quite sad. You know, I, I went over the two stories last week of what went wrong with Saul. And you know, what's kind of intimidating and scary is in both cases, Saul was like 90% obedient. He was like, basically, he was pretty much obedient, but there was that like 10% where he wasn't. And that 10% meant so much to God that he's like, hey, you rejected my word. I'm rejecting you as king. You lost your calling. And so God, God seems to want full-fledged, I am in or I'm not in. He, it's like if you're even 95% obedient, it's like you've been disobedient. And so now, of course, that was a certain calling because it was the king of Israel and too much is given, much is required. But the point is, it, is, it makes you f- have fear and trembling of like, hey, I, I want to be completely obedient. I don't want to be like 95% obedient, right? And then have the Lord say, you were disobedient. We want to be faithful completely. So these are just, look at this, 1 Samuel 15, 26. This is the Lord speaking to uh, uh, Saul. You've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Then a few verses later, in verse 35, he says, Until the day Samuel died, he didn't go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned. And the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. Imagine that. Like, the Lord, like, you stand before the Lord and say, I regretted that I made you this. That's like, right? No way. We don't want that assessment over our lives. And it's really sad. It's like, the Lord regretted making him king. Could you imagine that? We... We don't want to even go close to that assessment. 1 Samuel 13, 14. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Last week we talked about, you know what he did? He, He waited almost seven full days for Samuel to come and the army of countless people were... Um, based, the Philistines were coming to destroy them and all of his men were scattering because they're fearful and Saul buckled under the pressure and made an offering to the Lord basically like an hour too soon because he didn't wait for Samuel to come and this was, what I'm trying to say is like 95% obedient. He waited basically till the last minute, buckled under the pressure and then lost his calling because of it. So it's, it's really quite something else if you think about how important it is to be fully obedient. If the Lord says, wait seven days, wait seven days. Don't wait six days and 23 hours. Now, David is a picture of someone who faithfully fulfilled his calling. Um, I love this. Because David messed up a whole bunch, and we all know that. He messed up big time. There's a huge difference between David and Saul. I'm going to talk about that today. But look at, this is like, 
years later, right? Still, in, in the New Testament, this is God's assessment of David's life. He still thinks of David in this way. He says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. What made David a man after his own heart? He'll do everything I want him to do. That was, the, that was it. That was the key difference between David and Saul. How do you be a man after, or woman after God's own heart? That's your key. A New King James Version says, he will do all of my will. That's it. If we want that assessment that God, we stand before God, he says, that was a man after, or a woman after my own heart, because he or she did everything I asked them to do. That's the key. That's the key to David, of, of being a man or woman after his own heart. Jesus said something similar. I love this. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We all want to be like Jesus, don't we? Wouldn't we want that to be the assessment of our life, that that's what we live for? That's, that's all it's about, is to do the will of the Father, fulfill what he's called me to do, right? And so you can see that they both had a heart after the Lord, of course, and that that's, that's the attitude or the perspective that we need to adopt. So how to fulfill your calling? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? And of course, that's a huge huge topic, but I'm just going to give some keys today on this, because like I said, it's super important to fulfill completely the calling of God in our lives. So, like I already said, we're going to be judged based on we stewarded everything he's entrusted to us, right? And we talked about the parable of the talents, and I'm going to go way more in detail on that in subsequent weeks. It's possible to suffer loss and have your entire life work burnt up, Talked about that a couple weeks ago. Second John 8, watch out that you don't lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. What does that mean? That means there's potential. There's a full reward scenario. If you stand for the Lord, there's a partial reward, right? There's no reward. We want to be fully rewarded, that we don't lose what we work so hard for. So the question is, how do we live so as to be fully rewarded? And we've been talking about this in the last few weeks um, but I, I'm right now, because we're focusing on our calling, I want to focus on that. How do we become fully rewarded for our specific callings? So this is 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9. Starting in verse 5. What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you've came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. That's the key. We all have a task. We all have a calling, Right? I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each individually be rewarded according to their own labor. Right? And so that's the point, is like, hey, we all have a specific calling, one plants, one waters, whatever, the key is that you're faithful to the specific task because each person's going to be rewarded individually according to whether they've been faithful with that, right? That's basically all that's saying. Verse 9, it says, For we're co-workers in God's service. You're God's field, God's building. Now, verse 10 to 15, this is, we, we went in detail on this a few weeks ago. This is an intense scripture. By the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. 
For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that's key, right? He's foundational in everything we do in our lives, right? It's Jesus Christ for salvation in everything. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones, that's the eternal. Or wood, hay, or straw, that's things of the temporal realm. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day, talking about the day of judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if it's burnt up, if they build with the temporal stuff, stuff that doesn't last, the builder will suffer loss and yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames, which is really intense. And I I mentioned that earlier. You can have everything you did in this life absolutely burnt up. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to be building on the foundation of Jesus Christ using from an eternal perspective, using the things of the kingdom that matter, right? Out of a motive of love, not selfish ambition or envy, right? We don't want to be all the stuff that the Bible calls the things of the flesh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, those are the wood, hay, and stubble that's going to be burnt up. If we do it out of a pure heart for the Lord, though, then we'll be richly rewarded. So those who serve faithfully in the kingdom receive handsome eternal wages, and someday, by the grace of God, I'm going to be speaking a whole message at least on on just rewards, because there's so many scriptures on specific rewards you get for specific things if you're faithful with, and so I want to just you know, give a whole thing on that, because that's important too. Jesus uses rewards constantly to motivate us. You just look at the seven churches of Revelation, to he who overcomes this specific thing I just rebuked you on will get this. And just look at the Sermon on the Mount, right? Over and over and over again. If you do it in front of people to be seen, that's your reward, the temporal. That'll be burnt up. If you do it before the eyes of the Lord, in the secret place, praying, fasting, giving, whatever, then the Lord who sees in secret will give you an eternal reward. Jesus talks about rewards more than anybody in the whole Bible. So it's not wrong to focus on that. And I want to talk all about that so that we know we have a proper motivation. Each of us has different responsibilities, but all our different callings produce one result, and that's lives being impacted for eternity. It's all about the kingdom. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom was Jesus' number one message. That was the crux of his preaching everything. When he sent his disciples, preach the kingdom, right? That's it. So someday I'll probably give a whole series on that, knowing me. The kingdom of God. So we, whatever we do, it's all for the kingdom. That should be our number one motivation, bringing heaven to earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So whatever you do, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a janitor, whether you're Reinhard Bonnke, it's all for Jesus Christ. It's all for the kingdom. God does not reward according to what we do, but according to righteous at works of obedience. Again, it's all about obedience. Now, what's, what's relieving is that results, it's not like the world. Results are not the indication of success. Obedience is. Just look at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. One person was entrusted with five talents. They got five more. The Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. The other person got two talents. They made two more, and they got the exact same praise, right? So it's not like the world where it's like, oh, you did five more, therefore you're getting way more rewarded. It's like, hey, even the person, because to whom much is given, much is required. You've been faithful with more. You're going to get the same praise as someone who I entrusted with less, right? So the point is obedience, not necessarily results. 
Now, I gave these two scriptures last time, and they are pretty, I want to make a point with them. So they're kind of intense. The first one is Romans 11.29. For God's gifts and call are irrevocable. So you're called to be the next Reinhard Bonnke. That's not going to change. You have that calling on your life. Now, whether you fulfill it or not is another question, but that calling is never going to be revoked. God's given you certain gifts, never taken away. And that's why it can get confusing. How many of you have known people who have amazing gifts, <laughs> but they don't really seem to be living godly lifestyles? In fact, some who walk away from the faith and they're still operating. And that's scary. How many, yeah? Yeah. That's because the gifts are never taken away. Now, that's awesome, right, on one sense. On another sense, that's a lot of responsibility because gifts aren't an endorsement on your beliefs. It's not like God's like, hey, you have the right belief, so I'm going to gift you with this. It's no, God's called you to this, right? Now, it's up to you whether you're going to be faithful or not with it. Matthew twenty two fourteen. for many are called, but few are chosen. And that's an intense verse. Another way of saying it is the majority are called, the minority are actually chosen to fulfill the calling. Isn't that what it's saying? Many are called, few are chosen. So although many are called by God, only few actually are faithful with it and, and that Je- so that Jesus would appoint them to fulfill that calling. So the question is then, if that's the case, which it is, how do we get chosen and fulfill our callings, right? That's an important question. If it's true that only few people are going to be chosen, how do you become one of the few? And that's what I want to hit on a little bit today. How we, be, how we become the ones who God chooses to fulfill the calling. This is an important verse that I didn't get a chance to talk to about last time, but it's such a key scripture for understanding God and how he chooses Because God doesn't look at the outward appearance like we do. He looks at the heart. So many of you know this story. So when Saul got rejected, this is the next chapter, chapter 16, uh, 1 Samuel 16. The Lord says, go to the house of Jesse and the the next king of Israel, I'm going to, you know, it's one of Jesse's sons. So Samuel goes there and David's out, you know, doing his thing with the sheep. He's, his, his dad doesn't even, even think that David has any chance of being the king. So much so that he didn't even invite him to the house when Samuel, like the prophet of prophets, is coming over. So he lines up all of his sons, and Samuel sees, sees Eliab, the, the oldest, and he's handsome and muscular and everything, has everything going for him. And Samuel's like, I bet you this is the guy. Who's going to be the next king? And this is what the Lord says to Samuel. Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So that's the key. The key is your heart condition before the Lord. That is the key. Not whether you're a good speaker, a good whatever, outwardly. It's whether you have a heart after God, and David definitely had a heart after God, right? That was God's assessment of his life, okay? So that's the key point, is God chooses people who have a heart after him 
The question is, what heart qualities then is God looking for? What is it that he saw in David that he's like, that's the one. He's going to be faithful to the end, and he's going to do what Saul didn't do. He's going to be obedient to me. So what are those hard qualities? I think this is a key scripture, and David had all these qualities. This is from Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2. It's kind of a well-known scripture. Heaven is my throne, and earth, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you'll build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the key. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Those three qualities, I believe, David possessed. I'm going to be talking about that more in a minute. And that's why God chose him to fulfill what Saul squandered. The king, the, not only the king of Israel, the son of David, Jesus will be known as forever. The Messiah came through David. If Saul was obedient, it would have been the son of Saul. Isn't that intense? The ramifications of disobedience. So what's humility mean? Now, I have, back in the day, gave like three or four sermons on this, so if you're interested. But just quickly, true humility is being confident in God knowing that you can't do anything apart from God. In fact, humility can look like arrogance on the outside. Do you guys remember the story when David went to fight Goliath and his older brother, actually Eliab, the one who the Lord rejected as king, said, he actually said, what are you doing here? You have a wicked, prideful heart. Quite different than God's assessment of his heart, isn't it? Because David was so confident in the Lord that he would have the guts to take on a giant that everyone in Israel was shaking in their boots over, right? Wasn't arrogant. He just really had a lot of confidence in the Lord. And that's true humility. True humility causes us to seek God's will in everything we do. That was a key, uh, probably one of, the, one of the number one keys of David's success because he inquired of the Lord all the time. I have like nine scriptures here that just David inquired the Lord. David inquired the Lord. You know, there's one in 1 Samuel 30 where his men came and said they were actually going to kill him. What did David do? He went away, inquired of the Lord, what should I do? You know the difference between David and Saul? David inquired of the Lord so he knew God's will and did it in everything he did. Whereas Saul, if you remember, did things out of pride and he did things because he felt compelled. If you remember last time I spoke on this, when, when he gave the burnt offering and then Samuel came and was like, what did you do? And then Saul tried to justify himself, and he was like, oh, the army was coming. You know, my men were scattering. You didn't show up yet. And so I felt compelled to make the offering, to get the Lord's favor. I felt compelled. Totally different. It wasn't, I'm going to seek the Lord and see what he says. He said, I did it out of my own compulsion. Okay? And so that's a key, is that not doing things out of my own good ideas or because I feel to do them or whatever— no. Doing it out of obedience is the key. 
And that's what the Lord said, essentially. I, made, I chose David, right? A man after my own heart because he did all my will. That's the key. So, right, that's all I'm saying is when we cooperate with God out of obedience, that's true humility, and that's really, really, really important. The second thing is, from that scripture, is contrite. What does contrite mean? This is, I just got it from a dictionary. Contrite means feeling or showing sorrow and remorse for a sin or a shortcoming. David, David was, he made some really, really terrible mistakes, but man, did he know how to repent. You know, I love Psalm 51. This is just a glimpse of Psalm 51. How many of you know Psalm 51? David's like Psalm after, after Nathan rebuked him for killing somebody because he had an affair with that person's wife and he wanted to cover it up, that's horrible stuff, right? And then, you know, the story, Nathan came in and confronted him. Dave, that's where Psalm 51 came out of. It's an amazing song of showing David's heart of remorse. It, shows, it exposes how, how, you know, David was just quick to repent. You know, he messed up. But he's like, hey, delete button, I, I'm repenting. And that was, that was a huge key to David's success. This is just a, a, two scriptures from Psalm 51, the whole psalm of him repenting. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasures in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Whoa. David had a revelation of that, didn't he? Of what it means to, okay, I'm really royally messed up, but God, I'm coming before you with a contrite and broken spirit and not trying to justify why it was okay like Saul. If you guys remember, that's all it was. Saul over and over justifying himself for why he did what he did. David said, no, no excuses. I totally messed up. And that's why God, right, God, do you remember when Saul rebuked, or Samuel rebuked Saul? And he said, hello, Saul obeys better than sacrifice. Because Saul's like, oh, I wanted to sacrifice to the Lord. That's why I kept this cattle. And Samuel's like, obedience is better than sacrifice. You remember that? David had that revelation, right? You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. Which you delight in, Lord, is a contrite and broken spirit. Now, what does broken mean? I believe, you know the word broken when you're talking about a horse that's been broken? Brokenness is completely submitted to authority, completely submitted to the horse's master. When a horse has been broken, you guys know that? That's the picture of what it looks like to be broken, completely obedient to God, no matter what, our master. Having that posture of heart is what God looks for when he's calling someone and appointing them. The last thing in this particular verse is trembling at his word. What does that mean? You obey instantly. You obey when it doesn't make sense. You obey when it hurts. You obey when you don't see a benefit. You obey to completion, which is where Saul messed up. Having an honor and a respect for God's word. That, that was the difference. That was basically what it boiled down to. Is David had such an honor for the word of the Lord that he inquired of the Lord all the time. He did it. Saul, on the other hand, didn't honor the word of the Lord. Didn't tremble at his word. And 
Therefore, he didn't complete it. And the Lord said, I rejected you because you rejected my word. That's how important God's word is to, to, for us to follow. So I already said, these are three heart qualities that David possessed. And these are the three, I believe, some of the reasons why God chose him. Now, another thing, the second thing I want to talk about, again, the question is, how do we get chosen? And how do we fulfill what God's called us to fulfill? My question is, are you entangled? Okay? I'm not necessarily talking about sin now. Some of you are probably familiar with Hebrews 12.1. I just have it down there. I, would, I, don't, I wasn't even sure if I was going to quote it, but here you go. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, our callings. Throw everything off that hinders. Not just sin, everything that hinders. And I'm going to, there's, it's actually interesting because Jesus shows us in the scriptures some of the major hindrances that prevent people from following him completely. Okay? So before I go there, the Lord reveals things, life missions, to those who don't count their lives more valuable than the will of God. You have to value God's will above your own life. That's why Jesus says, you can't be my disciple unless you take up your cross and follow me. That is a major key to actually Jesus saying, okay, you'll be my disciple. So we need to count his will above our, our will, above our own lives. When we wholly lay down our lives to fulfill God's desired plans for us, then we'll not only discover our calling, but fulfill it as well. We must rid ourselves of any earthly entanglements that would prevent us from walking out our callings completely. So I just want to talk about some common entanglements. And you can see this if you just think about certain people. I'm sure all of us can relate to these three things. You might know people personally who you've seen, yeah, that is something that's prevented that person from completely fulfilling God's calling on their lives. And it's interesting because you can Jesus gives this illustration when he's choosing 72 disciples, he actually shows three common hindrances that prevent people from totally following him. So this is in Luke 9, verses 57 to 62. And I'm going to go through each thing that Jesus hits on and explain why what the hindrance and entanglement was. So this is verse 57. Now in Matthew, Matthew's version of this, in, in chapter 8, it says this was actually a large crowd. Okay, A large crowd was around Jesus, and Jesus used these tactics to reveal their hearts, to whittle it down to 72. Okay, So as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. How many of you have said that before? I have. So Jesus is like, oh, really? Okay. This is, look at Jesus' reply. Isn't this an interesting response to that? Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. That's Jesus' response to this guy. Why? I believe Jesus saw the entanglement that would prevent this guy from completely fulfilling his calling. And what is that hindrance? Comfort in earthly securities. That's why Jesus said, hey, okay, you'll follow me. I have nowhere to lay my head. 
now are you going to still going to follow me? My guess is that person's like, okay, actually, you know what? Um, sir, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll uh, whatever. When you're in town, I'll help with the parking lot or whatever. Right? Like he realized, no, I can't do it. It's like the rich young ruler. Jesus said, hey, sell everything, follow me. He couldn't do it. Same thing here. So Jesus hit this desire for earthly securities head on by saying that he had no secure place to lay his head. So that's number one. Comfort and earthly securities prevents people from completely fulfilling God's calling on their lives. This is the second thing. So this is right after verse 59. He said to another, come, follow me. Isn't that, this is the same thing he said to the twelve. Come, leave everything, follow me, right? The man agreed. He said, okay, I'll follow you. But he said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. Seems like a reasonable request, right? Look at what Jesus says, though. Let the dead, well, this version says spiritually dead, but most say dead, bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Why did Jesus say that? Because he was hitting on what, it, what was preventing the guy from following him. Notice he agreed to follow him, but the key to his loss was found in the words, first, let me dot, dot, dot. He wanted to make sure that his desires were accomplished. In other words, he put his priorities first before the calling of God, and Jesus said, you can't do that. Now, this might seem harsh because it's like, let me bury my father. This might help, and I heard it, and I believe this guy had money on his mind. And why do I say that? Because in their culture, the firstborn, if he didn't bury his father, normally he'd get a double portion of the inheritance, and the younger siblings would get a single portion. If he didn't bury his father, then the double portion would go to the second child. Chances are he had money on his mind, and he wanted to bury his father so that he would get the double portion. Is probably what's going on here. That's speculation. But that was a cultural uh, phenomenon at the time. So he probably had money in his mind. So nothing can come before the will of God if we're going to discover and fulfill his plans for our lives. Last thing. Last common entanglement. Verse 61. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, again, first, let me say goodbye to my family. That seems like a reasonable request, right? Look at what Jesus says. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So what was his entanglement? His tight-knit relationships was the determining factor of how he served Jesus. This is a different verse. Look, in a couple chapters later, we probably all know this. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Close-knit relationships cannot get in the way. Otherwise, Jesus won't choose us. How many of you know people who married somebody and they're not fulfilling their calling probably because of it? Yeah. I know some people too. It is so critical especially in regards to significant things that are going to impact the rest of our lives that we inquire of the Lord like David did, right? You don't want to be entangled with relationships that are going to prevent you from doing this, right? It's an important thing. Now, this is the very next verse. Now, 
It's an unfortunate place to have a new chapter, but this is the very next verse after he calls out people and says, right, these are the things that are hindering you from following me. This is Luke 10, verse 1. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. What happened here? Jesus whittled the crowd down to 72 who, in spite of giving up relationships, money, security, comforts, were still there to follow him. Those are the ones Jesus chose, the 72. It was essentially a test, I believe. Jesus was like, hey, here, I have no place to lay my head. You can't look back if you're going to follow me. You can't bury your father if you're going to, you're called to preach. So, he dealt with the three major areas of entanglement that hinder people from filling their destiny, security, money, and relationships. And of course there's others, but I believe these, if you just look at it, these are the three major ones, I think, that prevent people from totally fulfilling God's call. So I, I mentioned this earlier, Matthew twenty two fourteen. many are called, few are chosen. So we, as believers, we all have a calling on our lives and gifts to accomplish that calling. However, only few... Right? That's what it says. Only few are chosen and appointed to fulfill that call because only few pay the price of losing their life to fulfill their God-given destiny. Only few actually can say, yeah, I'm giving up my relationships, I'm giving up my money, I'm giving up my security to totally follow Jesus. So this is because few forsake their own desires, securities, love for money, and hindering relationships to fulfill their callings. So the key point to fulfilling your calling You need to determine, like Paul and Jesus and his disciples, that no money, security, relationship, or anything else is going to keep you from your reason for being placed on this earth. I love this scripture. I love Paul. Paul is such a radical guy. We should have the same attitude. This is Acts 20, 21. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's it. My life is meaningless. I, in Philippians 3, I consider it as rubbish. All this stuff I could glory in in the flesh, rubbish. Compared to the surpassing glory of knowing him, Jesus. So good news about this is that you can repent <laughs> if you see, if one of these three entanglements or the Lord revealed something else to you and you know it's an issue, there's always, and that's the beauty of, of our faith, there's always forgiveness, there's always repentance. Because your calling, right, your gifts and callings are irrevocable. If you repent, the Lord is going to forgive you and, and give you the grace to fulfill your calling. Smith Wigglesworth didn't start his ministry until he's in his 50s. It's not too late. Now, I want to end on this because how many of you, and you don't have to, but I'll just ask, show of hands, how many of you know what you're called to? Okay, yeah, like five or so. That's not uncommon. That really isn't uncommon. People just don't know, okay, what am I called to do? And it's usually maybe 10, 15%. I don't know the actual number. But I want to give you, because of that, a key. At least give you a key how it is you find the calling of God in your life. 
okay? This is an important key. Have you sought God earnestly? God is going to show you, guaranteed, what your calling is if you seek him diligently. So, the first step to knowing and living in what God's called you to do is to seek him, follow his ways, diligently ask him to reveal his will to you, to, to your life. Now, uh, I have a whole message on Luke 1, uh, 11, verse 1 through 13 on asking, seeking, knocking, the keys of answered prayer. Super important. Those are three different facets of prayer. We need to do everything. We need to ask. Seeking's totally different, isn't it? And we need to knock. And so if we ask, seek, and knock, we're going to find what we're looking for, and we're going to get the answer to our prayers. So we're told, and this is interesting, Trish had this scripture earlier, God rewards those who earnestly seek him in faith, that's Hebrews eleven six. not casually seek him in wonder and doubt. We need to seek God with diligence and guaranteed, I guarantee you, I, I can't guarantee you a time, but I can guarantee you that God will answer you if you don't give up. If you diligently seek God and ask until you get the answer, he'll give it to you, 100% guaranteed. So if you seek him fully expecting an answer, he's going to show you what, what you put, were put here for the, uh, what your calling is, essentially. So make up your mind, this is, this is it, that you will find out what you're called to do and what the next step is that you need to make your move towards it. So God often reveals, he might reveal an ultimate plan. Well, often people get their callings when they're first saved, but he doesn't give you a roadmap how to get there. What he does often is gives you steps. Okay, do this and obey that. Once you do that, this is the next step. This is the next step. Commit to God that you will obey no matter what. So when he says this is the next step, take the next step. And when you do that and faithfully do that step, he'll say, okay, this is the next step. Okay, so he often reveals things in steps. Seek and obey what he tells you and then move towards what he's shown you. Now, I want to say this. Often the next step doesn't look like you're heading towards the goal. It doesn't. In fact, often it doesn't even make sense. Look at Joseph. Joseph, you're called to rule over your parents and your brothers, and right? He gives that dream. What's the next thing that happens? He goes, gets sold into slavery <laughs> for years. Goes to prison, right? Doesn't make any sense, but then ultimately got fulfilled. David's another one. Got anointed as king over Israel when he was like 15. Then he was in the wilderness running for his life from Saul for like 13 years until he was 30. Moses was another one. Even if it doesn't make sense, obey anyway. That's what happened to me. The Lord told me in 2007 I was called to preach. That got confirmed a whole bunch from different prophets. I was a graduate student at the University of Waterloo in psychology. I'm like, Lord, what do I do? Do I quit and go to Bible college? He's like, no. I want you to finish your PhD. And I'm like, that makes no sense. But I did it. And now here I am, <laughs> preaching the word. I mean, it didn't make any sense but in retrospect, it made a lot of sense. And so often, even if it doesn't make sense, just obey, and God will lead you to where you're called to go. I love this verse. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding, right? even if it makes no sense. Seek his will in all you do, and he'll show you which path to take. That's a promise. Don't do things based on your understanding. Just trust him, seek his will in everything, and he'll show you. That was the key to David's success. So the question, are you fulfilling your destiny? 
If you feel like you haven't been living in your calling, or perhaps you've never sought God for direction, never too late. So like few of us said, yeah, I know what I'm called to. Most of us didn't. Never too late. Ask forgiveness if there's been hindrances or whatever, and earnestly seek him now for what he has for you. Guaranteed he'll show you, 100%. I can say that without a shadow of a doubt based on his promises. So that's the hope, right? That's knowing that no matter where you are in your life, it's never too late and God will forgive you if you have a contrite, broken spirit and you tremble at his word. So now I just want to pray over us because this is kind of like an intense message and a lot of us don't know what our callings are. And I really want to just ask the Lord that he will reveal his calling in our lives, that it's never too late and that, that in the days to come, he's going to show you what the next step is that you have to take to do that. And I'm also going to just give an opportunity, if you want, if the Lord's been convicting you on hindrances or entanglements that have been preventing you from fully obeying, it's never too late to ask for forgiveness. So why don't we just pray? Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to seek your will for our lives, God. I thank you for the hungry people in this room. I thank you for the amazing hunger of the people who come here week after week seeking to encounter you seeking to know you more, Lord. And that's our heart's desire is to know you. I thank you, Lord, that you promise in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that no matter how many promises you've made, they're all yes in Christ. So through, us, the, through you, the amen spoken by us to the glory of God. So we just come before you and say yes to your promises in each of our lives. Lord, I'm speaking to prophetic destiny callings that people received even 20, 30, 40 years ago that have never seemed to come fulfilled yet, that you would just breathe afresh on those callings, Lord, and the prophetic words, Lord, and that people would come alive once again with the excitement of the calling that you've placed on their lives. Lord, I thank you that everybody in this room just wants to know your will and wants to fulfill that will in obedience. And so, Lord, I just ask and pray that in the days to come that you clearly speak to each and every single one of us what it is you've called us to do, what it is the next step we have to take, and what it takes to make that step in faith. And I ask for the grace, Lord, the grace to take that step of faith, whatever it might look like. I thank you, Lord, that you say without faith it's impossible to please you because we must believe you exist and that you reward those who diligently seek you. So as we in the days to come seek you diligently for the calling and your will on our lives, that, that you promise that you're going to reward us for it. So we just ask, seek, and knock and believe you and thank you for that breakthrough and the answer of prayer. And Lord, if there's anything that you've convicted anyone here of that you've brought up, I just ask, Lord, that you forgive us, that you help us to come to repentance completely so that we can be like one of the 72 who, regardless of what it takes to follow you, that we can say like Paul, we consider our lives nothing except to do what you've called us to do fully and completely. Help us to be humble, contrite of spirit, and to tremble at your word in everything we do. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity to know you even more. In Jesus' name, amen. So we love to uh, pray for people individually. Um, If you would like a prayer, we have a prayer team, um, and you can line up and get for prayer whatever you want, whether it's related to what I spoke to or not. We also, if you're new, we have a time of fellowship in the hall just to your left. 